Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to The Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. They were the band that wasn't really a band. In 1966, NBC premiered a sitcom about four lovable lads and their misadventures as members of a rock and roll band that was obviously modeled after the Beatles. Except that the members of this group didn't write their own songs and weren't allowed to play their own instruments. That situation changed when all four members decided that they wanted to do a tour after the press mercilessly referred to them as the Prefab Four. Today on the Stewie Tunes Show, we're sharing 10 things we think you should know about the phenomenon that was the monkeys. Welcome to the Stewie Tunes Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your hosts, Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Good evening, Mr. Badgley. So I hear you got some snow in Toronto. Good evening, Mr. Stewart. We did. We did get snow, and I'm proud to say there were no military tanks coming down my street, so we're good. Oh, that's great. So uh, <laughs> didn't require the military this time. That's excellent. No. We got snow as well. I was surprised this morning when I got up to go to work. And How much did you get? Uh, about the same. Yeah. 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 I thought it had just been a dusting, but then I went out and I realized I could have taken the snowblower out this morning. So <laughs> did that when I got home. But, uh, you know, I've got a truck, so I was no problem. That You're be, all right. You're Look at you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Could be two feet of snow and I'd, I'd get out of there. No problem. Yeah, two feet as though my Hyundai's stuck for life. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a good one here tonight. I was excited when you, uh, this was your topic that you had picked, and I'm really excited about this one. Uh, the Monkees, the band yeah. that was kind of a band and wasn't really a band and very interesting story. Uh, just to, to fill listeners in, in 1966, NBC premiered the show and it was a sitcom complete with a laugh track all about a band modeled after the Beatles, very obviously, all about a band called the Monkees. And uh, the interesting part about that was three of the uh, Monkees could play instruments but they actually didn't play. They had studio musicians who played for them and they had a songwriting team who wrote their songs and we'll be getting into that tonight. But that, uh, that was a source of contention almost right away. Well, that was only on their first two albums. And, and um, interesting side note, just as, just as kind of a, a bizarre thing, one of the members of the Monkees, Davy Jones, was on the same broadcast as the first time the Beatles played Sullivan. Oh, wow. Because he was the cast member of the play Oliver, and they performed that night on Ed Sullivan. So, 64, Davy Jones meets Beatles. There you go. Yeah, and so the group was uh, modeled after after A Hard Day's Night became such a big success. And you can very obviously see each of the character types in the uh, Monkees lineup. Well, well, even spelling their name with two E's as opposed to the correct spelling of Monkees, like the Beatles with the E-A as opposed to the EE, right? So, I mean, right down to even their, the, the spelling of the name of the band was patterned after the Beatles. Well, that's right. And looking at the lineup that was on the TV show was interesting because uh, none of them really had any experience on drums. And no. uh, they, finally, they finally settled on putting uh, Mickey Dolenz behind the drum throne, but he, had, he didn't know how to play. So Peter Tork uh, taught him a couple of beats at least to film the pilot. But when you watch the the 
episodes. Like he really is a pretty basic drummer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the first episodes, I mean, they weren't a band. I mean, although, as you point out, did you know that Nesmith and Dolan's released records, and so did Davy Jones, all released records prior to the Monkees? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, and I feel, I gotta, I'm going to state my, my bias right now. I love the Monkees. Me too. And, and, and I get tired of people putting them down because they're just trying to have something. What's the song? People try to put us down um, <laughs> when they come to your town. <laughs> um, you know, because they were, they were quite, A, they were harmless, and B... If you dive into their music, they did some really great stuff. Whether oh. or not, you know, session people or not, they were great. Well, those are great songs. I mean, look at, look at right now. We're going to put some earworms in people's heads, so I apologize <laughs> in advance for this, folks. But uh, Last Train to Clarksville, I'm mm-hmm. a Believer. I mean, great songs. Yeah. I no, mean, and no matter who sings those, those are great songs. Well, Neil Diamond wrote I'm a Believer, right? Yeah. And um, what's the other one he did for the table? A Little Bit You, A Little Bit Me. Mm-hmm. A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You. Um, but even things like uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Carol King. Yes. Um, and what other big hits did they have? They had, oh, of course, Daydream Believer. Yeah, ma- just a, a massive hit. Massive, massive hit. And, I mean, you hear Daydream Believer now, that piano, which was played by Torque. Um, I mean, it's such a great intro. I mean, and and then some album cuts like Fades, uh, Shades of Grey, which is a great song. If you do you know that one? Yeah, great song. And mm-hmm. and and they just they just kept. I mean, these albums were well produced, well made, and um, yeah. So people right now are going, oh, I remember that song. I remember. Look out! Here comes tomorrow. Yeah. yeah my first experience uh, with the Monkees was watching reruns when I was a oh, kid in the seventies, and I, I loved it. Well, we had. We had a show called Commander Tom here from Buffalo, New York, Commander Tom. And they used to show the monkeys at four o'clock after school. Okay. So you'd come home from school and you put on the monkeys, right? Yeah. Well, are you ready to get down to business with uh, 10 things that we think people should know about the monkeys? Well, the first thing they should need to know is that, you know what? Go get the monkeys music on, man. You'll enjoy it. Just. <laughs> yes, it is. It's very catchy. And, and actually, it turns out they were one of the most successful acts of the 60s in terms of pure album sales. So, uh, incredible. Uh, and, I, and I, for one, have signed petitions to get them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think they should be in there. I so. think I think they should, too. Um, just a shout out to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Put them in there, guys. There you go. You know who else? Uh, this is just off topic a little bit. But you know who I can't believe? And what a travesty who's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist is Tina Turner. Yeah, well... We could do a whole show on female artists who are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Carol King. Yeah, you know what? Let's do that at some point. That's okay. A, write it down. Cause that's I'm, gonna a, write it, I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> that's right. I can see the pen, folks. You know that episode is coming. Okay, let's get uh, get into it here. So 10 things that we think you should know about the monkeys. I love this one. Are you a Star Trek fan, by the way? Well, of course. Yeah, of me too. Well, not not hardcore Star Trek fan, but I I love the TV show. I've watched all the movies, but um, this is a Star Trek tie-in. So Gene Roddenberry modeled the character of Chekhov after Davy Jones, complete with the mannerisms and the hairstyle. And after <laughs> I found that out, I went back and watched, and sure enough, it, there you can tell it's very interesting. <laughs> It would have been great if you got David to play Chekhov. Yeah, with a Russian accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that, that's 
But I can see it. I'm closing my eyes, folks. You can't see me closing my eyes, but I can picture Chekhov in my head. Yes. And his mannerisms. Yeah, I can see it. It's it's a, you know. That used to be the show that Mickey Dolan just always referenced. Did you know that? No, I didn't. So every time they talk about the monkeys, he'd say, I'm not a musician. Do you expect Spock, you expect Leonard Nimoy to be a Vulcan? No, it's a party play. I played a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> All oh, right. Yeah. On to number nine here. So Peter Tork was the first monkey to yeah. leave. And the band he, continued on as a trio for two more albums and two tours. They did. You know, he left the band um, in 69 after they did a, a a really good TV show called 33 and a Third Revolutions per Monkey. Now, I'll tell you right now, if that show had been successful, it would have been a continuation of the TV series. However, NBC put it up against the Academy Awards that night. Oh, gosh. Right, exactly. See, <laughs> so no one's going to watch the monkeys, but it was a great special. But after that, there was a lot of tensions in the band, and um, Torque said he was tired. He was tired of the touring. The they had made the film Head, which was a monumental bomb. Yeah, we'll be talking about that in a little right. while. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, what a strange film. Well, and and the funny thing is, he had to buy his way out of the contract. So he basically emptied his bank account. To buy his way out of the monkeys so he could go solo. And, and he never had a solo career until the 90s. Mm-hmm. So uh, sad, but um, but they did. They did two more albums after he left. They did Instant Replay and The Monkeys Present. And then the funny thing is, Nesmith leaves the band. So Mickey and Davey continue, on, <laughs> continue yeah. on as the monkeys and did one more album. It's like... Guys, it's over. But anyways, yeah. So Peter was the first to leave the band, and um, they just didn't bother replacing him. They just let him go. Yeah. Hey, skill testing question. All right. Do you know who was supposed to play the Peter Tork part before Peter Tork? Oh, I, I am not sure. I mean, I know there's one of our things we're talking about later about who supposedly auditioned for the Monkees, but oh, that's okay, not... Okay, we'll get to it. That, yeah. We could get to it then. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. And I'll bring it up then. So just hold on to that little... Bit there, because folks. I think I know who you're talking about for sure. He had bad teeth. <laughs> <laughs> now this, I, I'm telling you, Aaron. Out of all ten, this is my favorite one because it's just so out there. So Nesmith, Michael Nesmith, his mother was the inventor of liquid paper of all things. Like, I love that, and. <laughs> He inherited a massive fortune from her in the 70s, and and that fortune kept him going for a long time. But the the inventor of liquid paper was Michael Nesmith's mom. And and, and we were talking before we did the show, and they're they're Christian scientists. And so when she passed away, she left half of her money to Christian science and half to Michael. So he would have been even richer. Um, But... It's isn't it weird that she invented liquid paper? <laughs> it is. Because <laughs> I was a big liquid paper user in high school, actually. And oh, I could high school. What about university? Yeah, what, university. What, I didn't type an essay on an electronic word processor until fourth year. I I had used a typewriter up until, uh, and then an electronic word processor. A friend of mine had one for fourth year. I wrote an essay on that, but everything yeah. else was uh, typewriters. Yeah. I had a 1965 Smith Corona. That was my brother's. And I would buy liquid paper in the vats. <laughs> <laughs> and we're aging ourselves here, folks. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> and here's uh, another one that's out there. This is number seven. And I, 
you know, so there were several big uh, misconceptions about the monkeys. And I think they just enjoyed playing games with the press, to be honest. But uh, Mickey Dolenz told a reporter that uh, Charles Manson had auditioned to be a part of the original monkeys. That was a lie, but it stuck. And the other big lie that stuck was uh, Michael Nesmith said that uh, in 1967, that the uh, monkeys outsold the Beatles and the Stones combined, which is, of course, not true. But that that still persists today, that rumor. It still gets quoted. It still gets quoted. I see it every so often. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And that's bearing in mind that the Beatles released one of their most successful albums that year called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts. Yeah, a little little album called Sgt. Pepper's. Just, That's right. just a little one. <laughs> just a little trifle. <laughs> <laughs> you may have heard of it, folks. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, that album stayed number one for the entire summer of 1967. What was number two, though? Headquarters by the Monkees. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact... Um, they didn't they hit number one and then Pepper knocked it off the following right. week, for right? One, one week, there. Yeah, they were one. number one yeah. for one week. That was their last number one album, too. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no professional jealousy. And 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 the funny thing is, um, the Monkees were there when the Beatles recorded um, a Day in the Life. If you watch the film of the recording of Day in the Life, you can see Nesmith and mm-hmm. Nolan. So, and you know what, Aaron? This looks like a great spot for us to take our music history moment uh, break. But I've got a. Uh, when I was looking over all the things that had happened on this day, I mean, there was a Beatles one that I, it's, it's the one we have to mention. So it's one of the most famous Beatles moments of all time on our music history moment. And we will be right back. On January 30th, 1969, the Beatles, along with Billy Preston on keyboards, played their famous lunchtime rooftop concert on top of the Apple building on Savile Row in London. The show lasted for just over 40 minutes, and it was the last time that the Beatles performed live. They played Get Back, Don't Let Me Down, I've Got a Feeling, The One After 909, and Dig a Pony. Traffic was brought to a standstill as crowds of people gathered below and watched from nearby buildings. At the end of the concert, John Lennon had his famous line, I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves, and I hope we pass the audition. I think it's safe to say that they did. And now, let's get back to the show. And we're back. And Aaron, I know uh, you're going to want to talk about the Beatles rooftop concert a little bit. I mean, that's just what an iconic moment. And it's been repeated so many times by U2, the Ruddles. I mean, so Paul McCartney himself when he did uh, David Letterman, did mm-hmm. it in New York City. That's right. Can you imagine being one of the guys who worked on Savile Row that called the police to complain about the... Seriously? <laughs> There's a noise coming from 3 Savile Row. Oh my gosh, it's the Beatles. Shut up. You know, like... <laughs> That's right. Now that is a true get-off-my-lawn moment. Like, ah! come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't get much more get-off-my-lawn than that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm hoping this year they're supposed to be releasing a new version of Let It Be, and I'm hoping the I entire... I heard that. Yeah, 40 minutes they played on the rooftop, and I'm hoping it gets all released, though. Yeah, because it is impossible to find... Because uh, I, when I was teaching that rock and roll course, you know, I was trying to trying to play as much of that concert as I could for the kids, yeah. and, and it's impossible to find it. Oh. So if they can release the 40 minutes show, I mean, I, I'll buy that, definitely. <laughs> I think I will, too. Just yeah, I have a bring feeling. Bring it out there. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a feeling. Good one. Good one. 
So in segment two, we've got four more uh, things we think you should know about the monkeys. And of course, because this is a recurring theme on our show about being banned by the BBC. And at one point, the monkeys had a song banned by the BBC. So why don't you uh, tell us all about that? Well, Mickey, Mickey wrote a song called Randy Scouse Git. And it was banned because of the name. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who know British slang, Scouse is a Liverpudlian. You know, Git is, a, you know, like an idiot or a jerk. And Randy means, you know, somewhat amorous. And um, so they said, we're not playing this. This is, this is obscene. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the monkeys changed the title in the UK to alternate title. <laughs> which I love. Um, but the song itself is about the Beatles and um, meeting the meeting the Beatles and being at a party. There's a line in the song about the four kings of VMI are sitting stately on their throne. It also min- brings up uh, Cassellet of Mamas and the Papas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really Mickey Dolan's talking about what happened to the monkeys when they were there in 67. But uh, yeah, so the BBC, bless their hearts, <laughs> Band the monkeys. <laughs> you know, I could probably count on one hand the number of shows we've done where we haven't talked about uh, the BBC banning a song. So. <laughs> I think we need to keep it as a running theme. <laughs> <laughs> now here, uh, we'll move on to fact number five. So the monkeys had a top 20 album in 1968, and then it was a very long time. And this is actually impressive because in 2016, with an album called Good Times, they had another top 20 album. So that's amazing, isn't it? You know, and it is amazing because they released a lot of albums in between. Um, and the only time they came close was a greatest hits thing that came out in 86 mm-hmm. called uh, Now and Then. But look at this album, Tony. It's got songs written by uh, Andy Partridge of XTC, Noel Gallagher of Oasis, Paul Weller of The Jam and the Style Council. It made number one on the vinyl sales chart. So it actually made, it made number one. And I own the vinyl, folks. Yay me. Um, but it was their, their last top 20 album they had was The Birds and the Bees and the Monkeys. Yeah. And uh, so my, Tony, you're a school teacher. So 68 to 96, 70, or to, uh, um, how many years is that? That well. See, I failed math repeatedly, guys. But anyways. <laughs> Well, that's a long time. It's uh, 48. Yeah, 40. I, I wonder if that's a record. Could be. It's, it has to be, to go that long within a top 10 record or top 20. But, you know, uh, it was also, they, they used tapes of um, Davy Jones, because Davy Jones had passed away by that point. And it sadly was the last time Peter Turk recorded mm-hmm. uh, before his he died of cancer. So it's a, it's a good album. I, I, again, give it a spin. It's got some good songs on it. Yeah, and Peter Tork passed away in 2019, didn't he? It was he fairly, did. fairly recently, yeah. A rare cancer. A rare cancer. But check it out, guys. It's a good album. It's called Good Times, and it's got some great songs on it. Me and Magdalena, uh, one of the best songs they ever did. And it's kind of buried on the album. It's Mickey and Mike singing together. Well worth it. You know what, Tony? Maybe I'll find the link, and I'll send it to you so we can put it up in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Be, it's a nice song, so. Okay. Now, number four, this one again, this is one of those, uh, what were they thinking moments? But uh, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier on, you know, the monkeys, the, the inspiration for the whole monkeys TV show was a hard day's night, but the monkeys released a movie called head and on every level, 
this movie was a disaster right from the start. Uh, first of all, uh, it got an R rating, which is an audience killer because your target audience can't even get into the theater to see it. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was the first part of it that was off. But the very first scene of this movie shows the band jumping off a bridge and committing suicide. And there was all kinds of sentiment, you know, anti-Vietnam sentiment in the movie. And, um, but the point that they were trying to make, I think was lost on everybody. And it was just a disaster on every level. And you were mentioning about the television trailer for that, right? And it was just a guy looking in the camera saying head repeatedly for 30 seconds. I mean, there was no mention of the monkeys. Yeah. No songs, just I'll tell you a funny story. When I saw Mickey Dolan's and Mike Nesmith a couple of years back here in Toronto, they did a song from Head, and Mickey Dolan says to the audience, um, has anyone seen this movie Head? And, of course, people clap. And he goes, that's great. Can someone tell me what it's about? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I thought that was great. Very funny. <laughs> who, do you know who co-wrote that film? No. Who co-wrote that? Jack Nicholson. Oh, I knew that they had got Nicholson involved. I didn't know that he had co-written, though. Yeah, He did, and he's in it. for. Uh, there's a scene where they're, they're in a, like a diner, and you can see Jack Nicholson, and he has a small line, couple of lines. But yeah, he co-wrote it. So, yeah, and he was, an up and, he was an up-and-comer then, but not really known. And uh, But what, a, what an odd film. And just like, like we were mentioning, a disaster on every level. And Well, it was... It, it, Okay, you said they committed suicide at the beginning. They kind of committed commercial suicide because they never recovered commercially after that album no. or, and film. They never did. So maybe that was the point, right? They wanted to commit um, commercial suicide. I don't know. Now, here's another uh, moving on. We're going to fast forward in the time machine. This, I, I love this fact too. And I remember this actually. Uh, in 1986, so the MTV uh, Monkeys Marathon happened. They played the Monkeys for 22 hours straight. And that kicked off a tour which started on the smaller side and quickly became one of the biggest tours of the year. And uh, all kicked off by that MTV Marathon. And you said that the marathon was called Pleasant Valley Sunday. Yeah, great name, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know something funny? And that was also every one of their albums went back in the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, and they had, a, they had a hit single that year, too, called That Was Then, This Is Now, which is off that greatest hit song I mentioned earlier. So uh, wasn't that incredible? It's the power of MTV at that time. Oh, yeah. I, I actually remember uh, that marathon. And well, it spoke to, I mean, basically MTV could make or break an artist. I mean, if they could bring back the monkeys out of, out of hibernation, basically, mm-hmm. they could make any artist. I mean, they had a lot of power in 1980s, you know? Yes, absolutely. And we are going to uh, take another break here. And this time we're going to celebrate a famous birthday. And uh, we're only going to celebrate the one because he's pretty notable. And then we'll be right back. Happy birthday to Phil Collins, who was born on January 30th in 1951. Phil Collins, of course, is the drummer, singer, songwriter who was a member of Genesis. And he had the 1986 U.S. number one Invisible Touch with them. The 1992 U.K. number seven single I Can't Dance, plus six U.K. number one albums. As a solo artist... 
He had the 1988 UK and US number one single, A Groovy Kind of Love, plus six other US number ones and four UK number one solo albums. Happy birthday, Mr. Collins. And we're back. And uh, happy birthday to Phil Collins. And, you know, I always think of, uh, I'm a boxing fan, but I always think of Mike Tyson talking about, everybody knows that solo from In the Air Tonight, the drum solo. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the one. And even even Mike Tyson knew it, you know, when he was talking about that song and, and singing the, the drum solo. And I just, that just came to my head here all of a sudden. So I figured <laughs> I'd just mention that, but... Do you, remember, do you remember Live Aid when he played in two continents in the same concert? Yes. He, he flew in the Concord, do you remember? He was he played in London, mm-hmm. then he flew to America. That, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I meant Live Aid was something else, eh? Oh, yeah, we could, that's, a, that's another topic, eh? That was, that was, that was fantastic. I remember watching that from beginning to end. Uh, yeah, me too. And that was my formative years, you know, as a, as a student. I, what a great time. It was just... Yeah, yeah. Well, happy birthday, Phil. Happy birthday. Phil. Yeah. So we're down to our final two. And here we go with number two. So after their first two albums, the Monkees finally did play their own instruments. And that was, they were always pushing for that, especially Michael Nesmith. Him and yeah. uh, uh, producer Don Kirshner were at odds almost right from the start. And and oh. there was one anecdote where they were, where Nesmith said, you know, he punched a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. And said to Kirshner, like that could just as easily have been your head, like. <laughs> and uh, Kirshner ended up getting fired from the band, even though their biggest success had come under him. They ended up firing him. They did, and he went on to uh, manufacture the Archies, who were literally a manufactured band, folks. But, yes, um, they couldn't tour. This is uh, this is a bit of a crusade for me. Tony about the about the monkeys because okay they were not the Beatles they were not the Stones or the Who but they played the instruments and 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 I defy anyone listen to the album Headquarters most of it's written by the band it's a good solid album mm-hmm. and um, Nesmith his solo career is something else I mean you, you it's he basically founded country rock back in 68 with a lot of other musicians in California, but um, they did play. And and I get kind of irked sometimes because people kind of go, oh, they didn't play. Okay, they were brought together, they were manufactured. Quick question. Do you remember Don Kirshner's rock concert? Did you ever watch that? No. They never did? No. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> it was a late night concert show and Don Kirshner, that's what he wound up doing. But yeah, there you go. But so they did play, folks. They did play their instruments. Mickey learned the drums. And if you want to have a real mind blower, listen to their live album from '67 because it's it's garage punk before there was garage punk. Mm-hmm. Just plain and simple. <laughs> and here we is. are. We're at number one. So this is a little bit of trivia for people. Their opening act on their first tour. Let's give the audience a couple of seconds here to think about that and then and i love left this hand, left-handed guitarist that's right <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of experienced <laughs> star spangled <Dylan>. banner <laughs> all right Del- go ahead uh, jimmy hendrix yes jimmy the- hendrix it was his uh, it was jimmy hendrix's manager's idea to to break hendrix into a younger market and he was doing really well in England, but he wasn't selling records in the States. So someone had this harebrained idea 
to have can you can you i'm sorry can you picture <laughs> twenty thousand screaming 12 year old girls and hendrix up there doing are you or purple haze or it didn't last long <laughs> no it lasted uh, what three dates right i three think dates. and then he left the tour and maybe an obvious the target audience would not have been into hendrix at all they i'm sure they didn't get it whatsoever well how i mean America wasn't getting Hendrix at the time. I mean, he was so far ahead of, of what was going on that you know, it made sense that he broke in England and Europe first and then he broke in America. But, I mean, it was just a really, again, it's like another head moment. Yeah. <sighs> what were you thinking? That's, That's right. But anyway, so Jimi Hendrix opened for the, um, the Mickey, again, Mickey Dolan told a very funny story when I saw him solo. And he said, you know, here's, here's Jimi Hendrix out there playing his guitar and doing these great solos. And all you can hear is, you know, Davey, Davey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jimmy was not impressed. <laughs> no, of course not. So there you have it, folks. Those are 10 things that we think you should know about the monkeys. And of course, there are literally a million tie-ins to the Beatles, but we're going to do six degrees of Beatlemania anyways, because... Aaron's always got an interesting one for us. So here we go with the theme music and we'll be right back. So six degrees of Beatlemania. Okay, Aaron, hit me with some Beatlemania. There's so much. Oh, I mean, there's, I mean, Mickey Dolan staying with John Lennon during his last weekend in Los Angeles in the seventies. I've chosen, um, uh, an interesting one, which I'm going to tell you about in one second, because you know what? I forgot to mention that the person who Peter Tork beat in the auditions was Stephen Stills. Oh, right, right. I did yeah. know that. Yep. Yeah, because his teeth was not good. So, 1986, uh, the monkeys are being big again. Ringo started as a commercial for Pizza Hut. And the commercial is Ringo saying, you know, you've been apart for too long. It's time to bring the guys together. And he brings the monkeys together. <laughs> And so it's, and he's like, this is the wrong band. <laughs> so yeah, the monkeys minus Michael Nesmith appear with uh, Ringo in a Pizza Hut, a series of Pizza Hut commercials. And you know, only Ringo could pull that off, I think. Only Ringo. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'll find a YouTube link and I'll, I'll give it to you so we can, because that's, it's a fun commercial to watch. I Ringo's. have not seen that commercial, so I, I'd like to see that. Okay, I'll send it to you tomorrow, I promise. Or maybe tonight before before I sign off, but I'll send it to you. It's 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 classic. But yeah, Ringo and the Monkeys doing a Pizza Hut commercial. Well, and you know what? That was a good one. And I think uh, I think that's about it, isn't it? No, it's not, sirs. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been waiting all week for this. I want to hear your moment of get off my lawn. Oh, so right. I've, I've been waiting all week. Okay, let me switch into grumpy old man here. So, you know... I'm really getting tired of all this election nonsense or this post-election nonsense down in the States. And I'm really getting tired of politicians who know that they're lying and still going with the election fraud story. And the partisanship is driving me bananas. And just from the perspective that we live in Canada and we live next to a sleeping giant. And if that sleeping giant rolls over the wrong way, we get crushed. And it is so frustrating to see these lawmakers um, still insisting that the election was fraudulent despite you know what 60 lawsuits tossed out Mm -hmm. 
And today, I was reading on, and I got to stop reading CNN because it's getting my blood pressure up. But the or, the Oregon uh, Republican Party now is saying that they're they're insisting that the uh, the riots at the Capitol were a false flag. And, and come on, what? What do, you, what do you mean? Really, they're they're saying that now that they're they're starting to say we've got evidence that the riots at the Capitol were were a false flag just designed to hurt President Trump. And I. I promised myself I wasn't going to say the T word and I just did but that's how that's but how upset I am here did they did they come up with that during the earth is flat and the moon uh, walks for stage meeting oh they must have but anyway <laughs> that that's my rant for today I am so fed up that's with a good that rant yeah. yeah yeah I, I, I I've stopped watching news because of that I mean I, and well not in the pandemic I'm, no offense folks I just can't absorb anymore yeah so I think my uh, I'm gonna take a little break from CNN here I've been going on that website daily and because I find as a history buff, I find what's going on fascinating, but it's driving me bananas. It just it, it's upsetting that people can't come together, especially at a time like this, you know. And 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 I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, but in your monologue, your 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 morning monologue, the coffee break, coffee monologues, you talked a lot about that last week, and I thought it was really appropriate. Like it, it's you're you're bang on. I'm with you, hundred percent. Oh, so, thanks. U.S. election, get off our lawn. That's right. Get off our lawn. Stop bugging us. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that's all we've got for today, folks. But thanks again for listening. Uh, the show hit a big milestone. We uh, had our 2,000th listen. Uh, congratulations to you, Tony. You're the creator of this, so congratulations. Well, and this you know, awesome. now uh, more than half of our listens are since you joined the show. So that's fantastic. Thanks so much for, for coming on. and. Thanks to Kenneth Womack. That was a great chat last week. If you haven't heard that uh, episode, folks, go back and check it out. If you are a Beatles fan, he knows about the Beatles. He does. He does. So that was fabulous. And we've got uh, some excellent episodes coming up for you uh, in the remainder of the season. As always, I'm going to remind you that the best way to listen to the show is through a podcast app and subscribe because then you get notifications about whenever a new episode comes out. But you can also go on our website, www.stewytunes.com, and check out the show there anytime as well. So until next time, stay safe, be well, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to The Stewie Tunes Show. Follow us on social media or visit us online at stewytunes.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to click subscribe.